Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. All right, guys, we're in Colossians, and we are actually going to be finishing um, this letter up next week. And so um, it's been an incredible journey. And we said that the goal in this series um, was for people to meet Jesus and mature in Jesus. And we have seen people meet Jesus. We've seen people come for the very first time and visit Westside during this series and come and be a part of this church. And we've just been studying this letter that's been telling us that it's all about Jesus. And so we're actually going to be finishing the letter um, next weekend. And then after that, we are starting sort of an in-between series entitled The Bible Doesn't Say That. And this birthed out of a conversation that I was having with a church member while we were serving together. And just in the conversation, she said, you know, it's tough when I'm talking about Jesus and talking about church because then they'll respond with, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's sort of like the Bible says, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, and it's like pump the brakes. Um, no, it does not say that, okay? And so this is going to be a fun series where we're going to take very popular phrases that a lot of people say are found in the Bible, um, show that they are not found in the Bible, what that actually has us believe about God, and then correct that through God's Word. And listen, this is a great series for somebody who maybe isn't a Christian or somebody who um, maybe isn't a part of a local church to come and be a part of that. So that's going to be starting in a few weeks, and I'm really excited about that. But today, as we dive into Colossians um, chapter 4, I just want to ask, have you ever heard the statement before, um, going viral, or that's gone viral? I'm not talking about COVID or anything like that, okay? That's a different virus and viral. Um, it's sort of in regards to social media, maybe YouTube or something like that, but something goes viral, maybe a news clip, something becomes very famous when it gets passed around the internet and it goes viral. And as I was reading this week, for, for something to actually go viral, one article said that maybe it's a video would need to get around 5 million views in, three, in, in a three to seven day period. So in three to seven days, I mean, listen, about technology and stuff now is unbelievable, something like that. And especially if you do something stupid and they put it on the internet, okay? That's going viral real fast, right? So like five million views in three to seven days. The most viral video um, as of August 2020 is from the Korean boy band BTS, which is your favorite band, I know. Their song Dynamite got a hundred 101.1 million views in 24 hours. The video just, just went viral on that. You're saying, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, um, we've been studying this letter in Colossians, and, and, and we learned the background of the letter from the book of Acts. And, and in the book of Acts, what we saw was the Apostle Paul traveling to a town. Well, well this is the chapter and verse reference, Acts 19.1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, 
Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who didn't love Jesus but saw a clear view of Jesus, became a Christian and then starting pre started preaching Jesus, travels around and preaches Jesus, and he comes to Ephesus, which is sort of a metropolitan city, if you will. And just from a stone's throw away from Ephesus, a little bit north, is the town of Colossae. Now, what most scholars believe is that a guy by the name of Epaphras that we learned about in chapter 1 was probably in Ephesus at the time while the Apostle Paul was preaching. And this is what happens in Acts 19, uh, verse 8. And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So the Apostle Paul would always go either to the marketplace or to the synagogue where the culture was happening. And it says for three months he spoke boldly, teaching and preaching, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And then we see in Acts 19.10, this continued for two years so that all the residents, here it is, of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. So for two years, the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus, which ends up planting the church and then the New Testament letter that we know of the book of Ephesians. And so as this is happening, we also see that it's starting to spread of all the residents of Asia there heard the word of God. What we see happening literally is the gospel is going viral. So back then, no internet, no getting on TikTok, no doing any of that stuff. What you had was the word of mouth. And the reason why the Apostle Paul would go to the synagogue or go to the marketplace or to the temple is because that's where people were. That's where the culture was happening. And so that's where he stands up and he preaches the gospel. And then in Acts 19.20, we see this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail Mightily. This is a theme through the book of Acts that literally, just to sort of summarize it and put it in modern day terms, the theme of the book of Acts is the gospel going viral. That's what it is, is that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that this Jesus that was once dead and crucified is no longer dead, but he has been raised. Oh, that was a good spot for an amen, okay, right? But this Jesus who did die on the cross but is no longer dead. Amen. amen, right? Amen. This is the heart of our faith. And we see that this news spreads all through the Roman Empire. And then we see that it spreads even to this town of Colossae. And then when the Apostle Paul is writing, he says in Colossians 1, verses 5 through 7, he says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So what happened? The gospel went viral, and it went all the way up to Colossae, and it found these people who are living in community together, and then Epaphras plants the church there in Colossae. And we see that literally, where there was no church, where there was no gospel, listen, because of the spreading of the word of the good news, because people opened up their mouth and told people that they were in relationships with, sharing the good news about Jesus and the kingdom of God, 
that the gospel literally spread. And I would venture to say that in these short verses, verses 2 through 6, what we see today is almost a pattern of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And, and, and the thesis and the big idea today is this, that, that the word of God goes viral when we talk to God about people and talk to people about God. You see, the kids' side kids just taught us first, right? Okay? That what, what happens, and listen, this is what this is to talk in deep theology and big church, right? Because we have to learn something different than the kids because we're adults and we have mortgages, right? Okay, right? Um, the gospel goes viral when we talk to God about people, that's prayer. And then when we talk to people about God, that's evangelism. So, so what we're learning today is that the gospel spreads when, when we pray and seek the Lord about people who don't know him or, as the text says, outsiders. And then when we actually open up our mouth and spread the good news of the gospel. But listen, if I can tell you anything, after being in the game for a little while, this is by far one of the most neglected things when it comes to Christians and in Christian maturity. One of the things that we said the goal of the series was for people to meet Jesus who didn't know Jesus. We said that Colossians gives you a clear view of Jesus Christ. But the goal for believers was to be matured in Christ. And, and listen, one of the things that I've seen is that this practice of sharing Jesus and talking about Jesus is by far one of the most neglected things that Christians do. But here's what's so crazy about it, is that we're Christians because somebody shared the good news. Whether it was a preacher or whether it was a friend, maybe in a locker room or at school or something like that, the way that we hear this news is because somebody shares it. So what are some of the reasons why, why we don't share the gospel? How do we fail at, at sharing this? What are some of the root causes? Well, I think here are just a couple reasons why we fail at sharing the gospel. The first one is this, um, fear, fear, fear. I think that we literally are just afraid of rejection. I think that we're afraid of people. We're afraid of what people might say. Um, some of us have a personality that what if somebody says no or something like that? You know, it's going to have a breach in the relationship. We fear some of the consequences. And can I just say um, that for us as Western Americans to fear sharing the gospel honestly is heartbreaking. Um, when it comes to our brothers and sisters, whether it be in China or in other countries where today when they meet, they meet in secret for fear of their lives. But we're afraid that somebody will delete us from Facebook. I mean, I mean, there's a level of fear that is deep in us, and it starts with confessing that first. Secondly, I think it's apathy. Um, I think we're just apathetic about it. Quite honestly, I don't think that we comprehend eternity and people are literally going to spend eternity in one of two places, with God or separated. I mean, I mean guys, this is something that, that should weigh on us. But, but the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is just apathy, to just be indifferent. Can I tell you this? I don't believe the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is atheism or agnosticism outside the church. I think the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is apathy inside the church. 
to where it's just like, meh, meh. All God's people said, meh, right? Just apathetic about it. And then when we read the Gospels and see, did you know that Jesus talked more about hell in all four Gospels than anybody else in the New Testament? That Jesus was concerned about this. So it's not just fear, it's not just apathy, but I think it's also this. I think it's insecurity. Insecurity. I think maybe... um, We've sort of skirted by, maybe some of us grew up in church and we've been in this game for a while and we went to youth group and we went to church camp and then we served and we volunteered and then we adopted this, you know, send the money in the mail to this kid and then we've done all the lingo and all the everything, but when it comes to boots on the ground, Christian maturity, sharing your faith, you've either A, never been trained in that or B, just simply never done it. And so there's a level of insecurity there. And then the last thing is this, which I think is probably the primary cause, a lack of biblical literacy. You don't even know what to share. You don't even know what to say. You know that there's a great urge and and a great need to do this, but at the end of the day, when it comes to that, there's no biblical knowledge there. I'll never forget my first staff position uh, at a church, and we were in an elders meeting, And the pastor was planning sort of an evangelistic Sunday and was telling the elders and guys in the meeting, hey, you know, there's going to be an invitation and if people come forward, I'm going to need you guys to walk with them uh, and pray with them and sort of lead them to Christ. And then one guy said, I can't do that. And I said, why? And he said, well, because I've never shared the gospel with someone. This guy had been a Christian and been in church for probably 30 years and had never shared his faith. And what it came down to is is he didn't know what to share in that sense. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said this, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned, and unprayed for. That will sort of get the apathy out of you, a quote like that. And what we see in these verses today is sort of a combination of what it looks like for the gospel to go viral. And I want to take that big idea and break it down into two sections. It's it's talking to God about people. We don't start first with people. We start first with God. Always in our theology. If you have a theology or an idea or you're going to do something and it starts with you and it starts with people first, that's a bad idea. It should first start with God. And we see this idea of talking to God about people. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for 
the word. Um, he says, continue steadfastly. Some translations say, devote yourselves um, to prayer. The terminology is strong. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't stop doing this. Devote yourself to this. Grip your hands around this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And he's going to show us two things. The first thing is this. Um, how? How do we do this? Um, how do we pray for people? How do we talk to God about people, outsiders, people who don't know Jesus Christ? Well, the first way is this, um, faithfully. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. The continue steadfastly um, is this idea, what I just said, to continually keep going. It's to never stop. What I just said was really important. To never stop. No matter how long you've been praying for that prodigal child, mom or dad, never stop. No matter how long you've been praying for that unbelieving spouse, listen, we could have testimonies up here and pass the microphone of women and men who have prayed for their spouse. Listen, I'm not talking five years, I'm not talking a decade. I'm talking multiple decades of praying for that spouse's or for that child's salvation and continually praying and continually seeking the Lord. And listen, here, here's just a word of encouragement. God's delay is not his denial. So just because you're not seeing, and listen, man, like we're just in the age of Amazon Prime, right? Where you're like two days? Come on, I can't get that next day, right? And so some of us have been praying couple weeks and just starting to sort of get down about something like that. What the Apostle Paul is saying is faithfully, never stopping, every day with a list, on our knees, out loud, praying to God for that person. Because what that shows, this idea of faithfully praying for that person, listen, it really shows your love for them. If you really say that you love that individual who doesn't love Christ, then it's this idea of faithfully engaging with God about this person's salvation. It's faithfully, and then the second one is this, watchfully. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Um, this is a military term, literally used to be on guard at night for the enemy, right? So the Apostle Paul is saying, be faithful, don't stop, keep praying, but be watchful in your prayers. What does that mean? Well, I think he's also meaning an opportunity, as we're going to see in a minute. But I was really struck by the, by the idea of, I think when it comes to, whether it's a lost friend or a family member or a coworker, and we start talking about this, and we start talking about eternity and destiny, um, there's a little bit of worry that creeps in there. Or maybe a little bit of worry about what if I get this wrong or this, that, and the other. And listen, I just really felt like the Lord say to me, there's a difference in watchful prayer and worrying prayer. There's a difference in being watchful and being worry-filled. Worry-filled is that it depends on you. So it's either I'm going to get this wrong or I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's constant worry. I love what Spurgeon said, that worry and anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do but gets you nowhere, okay? But there's a difference in being watchful, praying whether for an opportunity or doing something like that. So it's faithful. It's not stopping. It's being watchful. And the last one is this. Do you see it right there in verse 2? You could do this. It's just the next phrase. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with 
Thanksgiving, gratefully praying. Um, man, I just believe, I love what one pastor said, that gratitude um, sets the altitude for your prayers. Just being thankful to God, being thankful for this person's life, just being thankful for what God has given you, rather than focusing on what you don't have or the season of life. What would your life look like that if right now you started thanking God for the season of life you were in rather than agonizing over the season of life that you're not in? I just think that changes a perspective when it comes to this attitude of gratitude, if you will, and praying this way. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul starts with prayer when it comes to sharing the gospel, that it first starts with God and our intimacy with the Father. Um, the Puritans uh, are sort of heroes of mine, and they loved the Bible and, and, and preached. And there's an old Puritan prayer um, that I read that I'll never forget where I was when I read it and, and the effect that it had on me. But when it comes to this idea of being in prayer before it happens, I'm sharing Christ. Um, our prayer life reveals what we love. And I think the reason why the Apostle Paul is talking about prayer in this aspect is, is to get it on the burner, is to get it hot, is to get this issue of sharing the gospel warm in our hearts and in our minds because I think our prayer life looks a lot like God, I need God, be with them, be with them, be with them. And then we say weird Christian phrases like hedge of protection and weird stuff like that, okay? And it's always like needs and needs and needs and needs and this, um, and the Puritan prayer and the question just simply said this. If God answered all of your prayers from yesterday, how many people would be saved today? Like, are we serious about it? Is it, is it really on our heart and is, is it really on our mind that, that if God answered all of our prayers from yesterday as to yes and amen, how many people would be saved today? It starts with an attitude of prayer, talking to God about people. So we're praying for people, but then the second thing is this, how to pray for people, but the second thing is this, what are we praying for? What are we praying for? And the Apostle Paul tells us right there in these verses, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us. Well, Paul, what is your prayer request? How can we pray for you? Glad you asked. That God may open to us a door for the word. I love it. What are we praying for? We're praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. That's what we're praying for. First, we're talking to God about people before we ever talk to people about God. We're talking to God about people saying, God, you know this person. My, I, mean, I mean, some of you right now are thinking about your mother or your father, your child, your brother or your sister. God, you, you, you know this person, you've created them and you're faithfully praying, you're consistently praying. And now I love that the apostle Paul puts the boots on the ground because here's what we think prayer is. God save that person. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. God save them. That's how you should be praying. God save that person. And then your next line in that prayer should be, and give me an opportunity to share the gospel. 
Like, because God's providence gives power to our prayers. We pray to God that God would save that individual. But at the same time, we are praying to God for God to give us an opportunity to share the gospel. It's just like praying to God for a job. God, give me a job. God, please provide for this family. And then when you get up off your knees, you go and fill out job applications. That's what this looks like. It looks like putting in the work. And I'm so weary in churches of having, you know, this revival and that revival and this prayer service and that prayer service and this. I love what Francis Chan said. Francis Chan said that Christians are a lot like manure. You're right. Amen. Okay. Right. Just follow me. He said, Christians are a lot like manure. When you clump them together, they stink. But when you spread them out, they sort of have a good purpose, right? And this idea of just praying God save them and then sitting on our hands and doing nothing. Listen, God has given you that relationship. God has put you in that workplace. God has provided you in this season and in this time to have that relationship. That it is praying for an opportunity. And most of the time, like, (laughs) if you want God to answer a prayer this week, just pray this. I'm Heavenly Father, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And watch that prayer get answered, okay? But here's what we do. Oftentimes, oftentimes, what we think is an obstacle in our day is actually a God-given opportunity. What we think is the interruption. Well, as, as, as soon as I thought about this, I thought about the woman with the issue of blood in the gospels. Do you remember the story? that Jesus is on his way to a man's house whose daughter is dying. The crowds are pressing in. I mean, it's like a rapper who just won a Grammy. I mean, there's all kinds of people. It's just busyness. There's a lot going on. And Jesus is going to the crowd, and he says, wait, somebody touch me. And Peter's like, yeah, look around. We're not social distancing, Jesus. There's pretty crowded here, okay? What do you mean somebody touched you? And it was a woman with the issue of blood, and then Jesus stops, speaks with her, heals her, But then when he gets up, the word comes back and says that the young girl has died. Most people would have seen that as an obstacle. What are you doing? You're going somewhere. But with the eyes of Jesus Christ, it was an opportunity. And so what if the interruption in your day, whether it be with your children or the phone call or you have to go here now or now you have to do that, what if what you think is an obstacle is actually an opportunity? And and listen, here's what I don't want to do today. I don't want to just, like, beat us up, you know, like, you should be doing this. Like, yes, we should be doing this. But the reality is, is we fail at it miserably. I fail at this often, of just feeling a prompting or feeling a conviction, whether I'm around someone or doing something like that, and sharing something with them. When we think about, uh, you know, sharing the gospel and evangelism, probably one of the first names that come to mind is Billy Graham, Right? I mean, the man who preached to more people than hardly anybody else in the world, the man whose whole life was centered around sharing the gospel with people and finding those opportunities. In his autobiography of Just As I Am, I pulled it off the shelf this week week and just read, he talks about in 1963 it being at the National Prayer Breakfast with then-President John F. Kennedy. Um, He had just gotten into town and had gotten into town from another country and was sick. 
he had the flu. In that picture, with that southern smile, Billy is as sick as a dog in that picture. And he was uh, been talking to President John F. Kennedy all day. And the president seemed, as Billy recorded in his autobiography, just very soft to the gospel and to the conversation in between the meetings. And they're getting ready to leave, and it was raining, and Billy said he was cold, and he was sitting under the umbrella waiting for the car to come up. And as the car came up, President John F. Kennedy said, uh, Mr. Graham, would you please come with me? Is there any way that you could come with me um, on this trip and just spend a few days, and then you could get back with your family? I have some things that I would love to discuss with you. And Billy said, Mr. President, I have just gotten in town. I haven't even seen my family. I am so ill. I need to get home. And the president said, yes, Mr. Graham, I completely understand. We'll get together. And John F. Kennedy was heading off to Dallas to where he was then assassinated. And Billy records this in his autobiography. His hesitation at the car door and his request asking me to stay haunts me still every day. What was on his mind? And then he says this, should I have gone with him? Now I see it was an irrecoverable moment. I say that to say this. If Billy Graham's failing at it, I think we're in good company, okay? All right? But here's what I am saying, and one thing that Billy did recognize. It was a moment. It was a moment. What is it in the car ride, just going to get an oil change and picking them up? What is it just on the phone? What is it just the text message? It is a moment. It is an opportunity of an open door. And I love that the Apostle Paul says that God would open the door. Why? Because God saves people. We don't save people, okay? So down with the formula of, you know, repeat after me and say these special words. That's magic, okay? That's incantation stuff, all right? I understand in that moment you want to provide a, a, a framework and people are emotional. I understand all that. But at the end of the day, it is not two plus two equals this. And you stand on one leg and spin around and amen, now you're a Christian. We say what Jonah says is salvation is of the Lord. God saves people. But listen, he chooses to do it through us. He chooses to do it through us. So we first talk to God about people, and we pray. We pray faithfully, gratefully, and watchfully, and then we pray for an opportunity. And then the next thing is this. We talk to people about God. Now we move on to talking to people about God, because look at what the Apostle Paul says. I'm still in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear of which I ought to speak. I believe there's two things that are at work here when it comes to now talking to people about God. He talks about his words in verse 3, and then verse 5, our walk. Our words and our walk. The first thing is this, our words. Our words. He says that God may open a door of opportunity, but look at the next three words. Open to us a door. What are the next three words? For the word. For the word. For the word of God. Um, I think we're really confused as to what we put through the door of opportunity. I think there's a lot of opinions on that. Um, when it comes to what do we put through the door of opportunity when God opens up a door, um, how about this? Uh, personality. Personality. 
um, oh, this is an opportunity. And um, should I just talk about God? Should I like, use the word here? I tell you what, how about I'm just really nice to them and I get them to like me? Because then if they like me and I like Jesus, then in turn, they'll like Jesus. That's how that works, right? Wrong. That is not how they work. And, you know, just a little bit of advice. They don't like you that much. Okay, no, I'm just kidding, right? But it's not this idea of I'm a Christian, they're a non-Christian, and ooh, man, I got to get them to like me. Okay, we all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that, Right? We all know what it's like to get that Facebook message. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. You want to hang out and buy these oils that I'm selling? But anyway, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I made everybody mad, right? We all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. that. That's not authentic, man. The point of that is you. The point of that is you. So how about personality? How about this? Good works. Good works. That's what we stick through the door of opportunity. Good works, because nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. I, I understand that, and that is true. I'm not talking about street preaching with a microphone standing up yelling at someone, okay? But there's something that's crept into the church of Jesus Christ, and they even, a quote, they even quote it to a church father, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Pfft, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, okay? The church father didn't even say that. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, right, that, or Romans chapter 10, how will they hear if there is no preacher? That yes, listen, we can dig wells, and yes, we can feed, and yes, Christians do that. It's the social activity of what we do. But listen, if we're just feeding, and if we're just giving them water, all we're doing is sending them to hell with full bellies. We must proclaim the gospel, that we have to use words, personality, good works, or how about this one? This goes over really well, politics. And can I just say the heartbreak on the landscape of Christianity over the past couple of, uh, past couple of years of an opportunity to bash someone about their political beliefs and this, that, and the other. And, well, you're not a Christian because how could you ever, and I can't believe you voted for, and this. It's exhausting. As the psalmist says, put not your trust in princes and in chariots, but put your trust in the Lord your God. It's not an opportunity for your political agenda or how about this last one, which is popular in this area, life lessons, right? Life lessons. Somebody's tender to the gospel. Maybe something is going on. Maybe there's been a diagnosis. Maybe there's that opportunity. And what you stick through the door in that opportunity is, well, you know, it's like my granddaddy used to say. Listen, love your granddaddy, okay? Love your granddaddy. But the only thing that God has blessed to transform anybody's life is his word, is his word. It's only the very word of God that changes hearts and minds. So how do we do this? I think it's so important for us to understand that it's God's word that does the work, that it's God's word that does the work in somebody's heart. I mean, guys... So often people come up after a sermon and they're like, man, today you said this and, and I've got this going on and this is right in the season. Listen, that has, ab I am not that clever. That has absolutely nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with the spirit of God and the word of God intersecting with your life. 
Listen, we spent a whole series on this entitled Break It Down. What is the gospel and how to share it? We've got some of these little tracks out there to help you with that. You can go on our website and learn all about that. But what does it look like right now to talk about Jesus? I want to show you really quickly from the text. Literally, word by word from the text, how to talk about Jesus. The first thing is this, open your mouth. Verse three, declare, declare. You're, listen, you're gonna have to say something. You're gonna have to say something. And it doesn't have to be a dissertation, okay? Down with that guy, down with the theological argument guy. Like, well, I'm so glad you asked because I've been reading about the end times and what I really think, okay? How about, what if it's just this? Hey, what do you think about Jesus? Hey, you know that I go to church. You know that I'm a Christian. I've never asked you before. I'm so sorry, I've never asked you. What, what do you think of Jesus? Open your mouth. The second thing is this. Open your mouth and then use the scriptures to declare the word. Listen, it's, it, it's like really popular now for, for some preachers or uh, Christians to advise other Christians to not say this phrase, the Bible says, that, you know, I read all these preaching books and they're like, now nah, preachers shouldn't really say the Bible says because non-believers don't believe in the authority of scripture, so it doesn't really carry weight with them. Listen, I could care less if it carries weight with them or not. That's not the point, okay? The point is that it's the word of God that changes lives, and so it's using the scriptures because they're always timely, because they're timeless. So it's opening up our mouths, using the scriptures, and then this, get to Jesus, man. Get to Jesus. I don't know about cre you know, creation, you know, dinosaurs, or who are the neophyte in Genesis 6, and what do you think about aliens? Joe Rogan believes in aliens. What do you think about aliens? And is Elon Musk going to send us to Mars? And what do you think about that, Pastor? I don't know, bro. I have no idea. But what do you think about Jesus? It's just Jesus. Please get to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Keep it simple as Jesus because Jesus is the most compelling person who's ever lived, ever lived. And a non-believer has to reconcile with their opinion of Jesus Christ. He splits time. A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, B.C., before Christ. You've got to do something with Jesus. So get to Jesus and then this. Keep it simple. Look at what he says. I, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Anytime I talk on preaching or anything like that, I talk about verse 4. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Yes and amen. Make it clear, man. And, and here's what I always say. Clarity always beats creativity. Okay, so I know there's gospel presentations of like, there's this cup of water. And these things go great with kids and these type of illustrations. But I just think if you're at work and you're like, your life represents this cup of water. And the oil goes in and then you spill the oil all over the day. Like, listen, clarity always beats creativity. Just make it clear. Make it plain. What do you think about Jesus? Wow, that's really interesting. And then if they ask you a question, you know, like, well, you know, the Bible is filled with contradictions or this, that, and the other. Do you know what I believe is the most humbling, compelling thing that a Christian can say? If they say, well, what do you think about this? Because the Bible, this, that, for you to say this. I don't know, man. I don't know. But you know what? Let's find out together. Let's study that together. You know what? I've never studied that before. Let's study that together. Just keep it clear, keep it simple. And then the last thing is this, um, be ready for opposition. 
for the account that I am in prison, the Apostle Paul says. The world hates this message. The world hates this message. And yes, what I am saying is that there might be opposition and somebody might want to end a relationship. But I love what Romans, Paul tells us in Romans, if possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all. Make sure there's no credence or an account that they can say because you did this or X, Y, and Z. Love them. Make deposits before you make withdrawals. But there will be opposition. It's our words. And then the last thing is very simply this, our walk. Look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Do you know what's probably been the most grievous thing and most heartbreaking and probably the most heavy on my heart the past year and a half in light of the pandemic and all the political upheaval and climate is the amount of non-Christians pointing to Christians who are politically fighting, whether it be about a political party or a mask or a stinking vaccine and saying, that's why I'm not a Christian. It is weary to my bones that we would give the world that much credence to say that's why I'm not a Christian. There is so much more at stake. And the Apostle Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. And then here it is, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I used to think that meant that we needed to have a reason, like an apologetic, an answer, but actually, why would we need to give an answer? Look at the verse and just meditate on it. Why would we need to answer each person? Because the way we're living. He says, walk in wisdom. And now that you're walking and living this way, a coworker is going to come up to you and say, hey, in that meeting, everybody was gossiping about our boss and raking our boss over the coals. And you left. Why'd you leave? That's what he's saying. Why did you leave and not engage in that? Ah, oh, man, listen, I've got, I've got beef with our boss and, you know, this, that, and the other. I just, I didn't want to dive into that conversation. You know, I've been going to church and Jesus has been working on me. I got a lot of problems in my life and I just didn't. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you live in such a way, that you use money in such a way, that you live in such a way that an outsider goes, you live differently. Why do you live that way? And then we give the answer. Listen, here's what I'm saying. It's not about living perfectly. It's about living authentically. That's what it's about. That's what the world wants to see. It's not about being perfect. It's about being authentic. So in closing, what is our application going to be? Like, like what do we do with a message like this? What do you do with a sermon like this? Because if you just came today just to listen to this, you got the kids ready, like you got in a fight in the parking lot and like all that stuff. Like if you just came just to listen to this, listen, like awesome. I th there might have been other stuff you could have done with your time. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to do about it? Here's the suggestion. What if this week um, you could just pray for, for three people? Three names. Um, that you know who don't know Christ. Three people that you would pray for them. And I mean every day, pray for them. 
and you're praying for an opportunity to share the good news with them. And and listen, I'm even going to break the prayer down for you. I'm literally trying to spoon feed this thing to you, okay, right? No excuses. Here's what your prayer can look like. Um, Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to, three things, open up a door, open up their heart, open up my mouth. That's it. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's really crazy, this Christian maturity stuff. But what if, what if you're an answer to somebody's prayer? (laughs) Do you understand that? What if somebody right now is crying out to God in a season of life, whether it's mental health, I mean, they feel everything. I mean, they feel like, why even keep on living? What is the point? The marriage is a failure. My kids have run off. This is how everything is breaking down around me. And then here you come. Here you come with all your problems, looking all goofy and weird and all that stuff, but loving Jesus. But loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus and firing off a text message that says, hey, I've prayed for you this week. Is there anything that I can pray with you about? I'd love to talk to you about something. Like, guys, I I think that those little conversations can change the world. Do you know why I believe that? It's because over 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Paul in Ephesus who stood up and preached the gospel, and a guy named Epaphras heard it, and Epaphras went back to his hometown, and he told his friends, about this Jesus, and then those people told those people, and then Paul writes a letter, and then like 2,000 years later, we're in Popper Bluff, Missouri, studying a letter written to Christians in Colossae, all because God opened a door, opened up their heart, and some people opened up their mouth. What would it look like for you this week? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you so grateful for your word. Yes, God, we do need convicting. For so many of us, we've we've just become apathetic about this. What would it look like if we were so passionate about whatever hobby it is, whatever political agenda? What if we were so passionate about you, Jesus? Convict us in these things, but at the same time, comfort us that you've not left us alone. You don't just convict us and then leave us alone. You guide us in this journey. God, may Westside be a people that go and share the good news built around relationships. God, I pray for each and every person in this room that is gonna take seriously this message, God, that right now there's already three names, some of them mothers, fathers, children, relationships, coworkers. And God, we just lay those people before you right now. We know what your word says in 1 Timothy, that it is your will that none should perish, but all should come to a saving knowledge of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we know John 6, that nobody can come to the Father unless the Son draws them. And we know that when Jesus be lifted up, all men would be drawn to him. We know what your word is promised. We know that when we come to you and ask these things, as in Jeremiah 33, 3, you invite us and say, call to me. 
call to me and I will show you great and marvelous things that you have not yet known. God, we stand on these promises and empower us by your spirit. Embolden us to go forth and to share your word. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand to your